Welcome to Dire Trip, where we deep dive into all sorts of spooky, horrific, or just plain weird crimes, lawsuits, and strange happenings all over the world. Without further ado, let's get into today's story. Hey there everyone, it's time to go over a bunch of cases that aren't really long enough to be their own video, but are definitely worth talking about. Uh, from insane mothers, to stalkers, to a legal battle over balls in a jar, we've got it all, so let's get into it. Here we have Kansas City mother charged in death of one month old after allegedly mistakenly placing infant in oven. You know I'm always more than ready to talk about a Missouri case, but unfortunately this is one that's pretty awful. Very recently, a mom out in Kansas City, Missouri, the 4100 block of Forest Avenue in Midtown to be specific, was arrested and charged in the death of her one-month-old baby for what she says was nothing more than a very, very big mistake. 26-year-old Mariah Thomas was living with her grandparents and raising her baby in their home. She called up her grandfather at about 1pm one Friday afternoon, telling him vaguely that something was wrong with her baby and that he needed to come home as soon as possible. She called her grandmother up as well, this time in hysterics, barely able to convey anything. Once the grandpa came home, he immediately smelled smoke inside the house and, upon walking further in, found the deceased baby inside her crib. This was when Mariah told him that she thought she had put the baby in her crib, but had accidentally put her into the oven instead. The police and ambulances were called, and as soon as they arrived, the cops came inside to find an infant with apparent burn wounds. The Kansas City Fire Department declared the one-month-old child dead right there on the scene. Mariah once again reiterated that she was simply trying to put the baby down for a nap and accidentally put her into the oven. Mariah was arrested and charged with a Class A felony, first degree endangering the welfare of a child in the death of her baby. She was taken into custody and consented to detectives looking through her phone data and taking a blood sample. It doesn't appear that she has an attorney to represent her yet. If Mariah were to be convicted, she could get anywhere from 10 years to life in prison, according to Missouri law. Her sentencing will likely hinge on whether or not she was going through some sort of psychosis at the time of the crime. This one is, Woman arrested for sending man 159,000 texts after their first date. Now, here's a case that you might have heard about before. It actually happened several years back, but it seems that the whole thing has finally wrapped up and we have a conclusion as to what happened to this woman. Back in 2017, a woman in Phoenix, Arizona named Jacqueline Aids joined an app called Luxie, a dating app for millionaires. To join, it seems that you either need to make over $200,000 a year or be voted into the app by other users for being attractive enough. That sounds like an absolutely horrible way to meet an actual serious partner, but to each their own, I guess. Jacqueline was able to get voted in and immediately set her sights on a local business owner. This guy was the CEO of a Scottsdale area company that sells skincare products. She was a beautician herself, likely finding this to be her perfect, filthy rich match. She hit him up and the two talked on the app for a few days before deciding to go on a date. Apparently this date didn't go very well. The man didn't want to see her again after one date and started ignoring her calls and texts. So upon being ignored, Jacqueline decided to send him over 159,000 text messages with some calls and voicemails sprinkled in as well. 
In these texts, she threatened a good amount of violence against him, even dismemberment. We met him online. I was looking for my healing angel. The, the psychic I met told me I would meet a healing angel. I felt like I met my soulmate and everything was just the way it was. And I thought we would just do what everybody else did and we would just like get married and everything would be fine. But that's not what happened. You don't stop giving, even if you don't receive. You all of a sudden receive a lot. No. Oh my God, now I love him so much. I just want to love him so much, that's it. And if he doesn't like it, then... I'll go home and I'll love my ex-boyfriend. She has since claimed that these threats were merely hypothetical. Attempting in vain to downplay her creepiness, she has said that these threats were what she would do if they got together and he happened to leave her, which in her mind seems to make it all fine. You remember? I would never do that. Well, I said if he left me, if we were together and he left me. Okay. So if you're saying you were saying that if 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 we ever were together that I love him so much that I would do those things. If he, he left, if he left you? Left me, yeah. Okay. So, so if he didn't want to be with you right now. Oh, that's okay. That's different though? Yeah. How's that different? Oh, cause he's not here yet. In July of 2017, she was caught on camera parking outside of this man's house. Her relentless stalking didn't end there though. It continued for about a year. In April 2018, surveillance footage from inside the man's home sensed movement. Through his phone, he was able to see that Jacqueline was there, inside his house, just kind of wandering around. Luckily, he was out of the country at the time, but he alerted the local police immediately. When the police came out, they caught her there and found a large butcher knife in her car after a search. She told the police that she had been abducted by Walt Disney, a member of the Illuminati, on his spaceship. While being taken in, she told the police, he said to me, go away for the last 16 months, and I couldn't, because the more I loved him, the more I learned the secrets of the universe. She was arrested on counts of stalking and criminal trespassing. For the last 10 months alone, despite being completely ignored, she had sent a further 65,000 text messages to the man. Sometimes up to 500 in one day. The messages got increasingly threatening with such gems as, I'd make sushi out of your kidneys and chopsticks out of your hand bones. Or, I'd wear your fascia on the top of your skull and your hands and feet. Uh, with fascia being a thin layer of tissue over the internal organs, by the way. The police said that she was showing signs of mental illness. When the police asked her why she was in his home, she said, I guess I made up a whole scenario in my head where I live here, so I came here and pretended that's what was happening. Even after this arrest, she didn't stop. She continued to text the man, saying, you do whatever you have to to get here, but don't ever try to leave me. I'll kill you. I don't want to be a murderer. While comparing herself to Hitler and calling him a genius. She once again showed up to the man's home, pretending to be his wife, which got her arrested once again. She told the cops that she had no intentions of causing him any harm. She thought her text messages were funny, not understanding why anyone found them scary or weird. I wouldn't actually do that. But you said it. It's funny. No, it's not. Okay, sorry. It's, it's, I mean, it scared him a lot. Sorry. You're talking about taking out his his muscles and his organs and oh, wearing his that. skin. And I mean, that... Well, I didn't think it was scary. I mean, he does this to me. He called the police on me. Yeah, because you say things like this. I mean, I didn't say that the first couple times he did this, called the police on me. 
After a trial and spending some time waiting in jail, Jacqueline was offered a deal where she could be released on time served if she accepted 10 years of probation and was no longer allowed to contact her victim. She didn't agree to it. Instead, she pled not guilty to all charges. She said that she felt this was all a test by her victim to see how dedicated she really was to him. Her court-appointed attorney requested that mental health professionals evaluate her mental competency and ability to understand the gravity of the charges against her. After much time passed, the charges against Jacqueline were completely dropped. She was found to be mentally incompetent and completely non-restorable. Her attorney agreed with the court's decision. She was all set to be transported to a behavioral health center to stay for a while. Then, after her stay was over, her parents picked her up and took her back home to Florida to get additional treatment under their watch. She is still forbidden to contact the man she stalked for so long. This one is... Georgia reigning beauty queen charged in murder of 18-month-old. Um, I'll be honest with you here, I have really no idea what any of this pageant stuff is about or the significance of it, so I'm just going to tell you exactly what the article said, so uh, bear with me for just a moment. Here we have the story of Trinity Madison Pogue, an 18-year-old beauty pageant contestant and reigning beauty queen. After graduating from Southwest Georgia Academy in Damascus with honors, she became the current Miss Donaldsonville, participating in some pageant called the National Peanut Festival. She went on to Georgia State University in Americus. There, she was one of only 22 freshmen chosen for the President Jimmy Carter Leadership Program. In 2023, she was named Miss Seminole with a photo of her holding a young child on stage, a dark bit of foreshadowing. Her mom shared a photo of her on Facebook, along with a quote Trinity wrote herself, God does not give us everything we want, but he does fulfill his purpose, leading us along the best and straightest paths to himself. And then she was arrested and charged in the murder of an 18-month-old baby boy. It has been rumored that this boy was the son of her boyfriend, but it seems that we still don't really know that for sure. The police haven't stated her relationship to the child. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation was contacted by the Georgia Southwestern State University Police Department after the baby was admitted into the emergency room at the Phoebe Sumner Hospital. Originally, the child was unconscious, but he later passed away in that hospital. Initial findings have reported that the cause of death appeared to be blunt force trauma. After multiple interviews with the police, Trinity was arrested. She's being held at the Sumner County Jail without bond. She's facing charges of aggravated battery, felony murder, and cruelty to a child in the first degree. It came to be known that the name of the boy was Romeo Anglais, according to his birth certificate. While the boy's family asked for privacy, they did set up a GoFundMe page to raise some money to support the father. The page states, A man that was the sole caretaker of his only child now has the tragedy of having to lay him to rest. Here we've got California woman who stabbed boyfriend 108 times sentenced to probation. Here's a very controversial case that has both infuriated and confused a lot of people out there for pretty understandable reasons. Our case starts in December of 2017. This was when 32-year-old Bryn Spedscher was hanging out with her boyfriend, 26-year-old Chad Omela, smoking some weed and enjoying some conversation. However, with no warning, Bryn suddenly snapped, pulled out a knife, and stabbed her boyfriend about 108 times, stabbing herself in the process as well. 
Police arrived on scene where they found Bryn sitting in a pool of blood, still holding her knife. She wouldn't go quietly, ultimately leading them to having to use a taser and a baton to get the knife away from her and take her into custody. Once her trial began, a medical expert came forth to say that Bryn's behavior was the result of cannabis-induced psychosis. Apparently, this diagnosis is given out whenever one hallucinates or suffers from delusions immediately upon taking the drug. Her attorneys argued that she was bullied and intimidated into smoking more than she wanted to, saying that she was involuntarily intoxicated. Medical professionals or not, many people found their assertions ridiculous and the case quickly became very divisive. However, it seems that many more people were on the side of THC psychosis being a lame excuse for what she did. At a hearing, Bryn had to face her boyfriend's family and express remorse for what she did. She told them, My actions have ripped your family apart. I am broken and aching inside. I hurt that you never see Chad again. Chad's mother was not impressed, saying, It's been five and a half years where she has got to live with her family and we get to live with a box of ashes. However, in the end, the Ventura County Superior Court Judge David Worley surprisingly decided to sentence Bryn to no jail time at all. Speaking of the moments after she smoked weed, he said, From that point forward, she had no control over her actions. Instead, Bryn was sentenced to two years of probation and a hundred hours of community service. It seems that the number of people outraged at this outcome far outnumbers the people who actually agree with it. Now we've got 17-year-old shot and killed by officer conducting welfare check. Here we have an extremely counterproductive incident that recently took place at a family home in Nebraska. The police in Columbus were called with a request to perform a welfare check on a resident who had been showing signs of committing self-harm. A few of the police went out to the home, making contact with the 17-year-old boy in question. He was holding a knife, so one officer shot him with a taser while another opened fire and killed him right there. The boy, later identified as Chase Ditter, was pronounced dead right there on the scene. It goes without saying that people weren't very happy upon hearing about this case. The Columbus Police Department contacted the state to conduct an in-depth death investigation. Now, the Nebraska State Patrol is conducting an investigation of the entire situation. Both of the officers involved in the killing have been placed on administrative leave. The Columbus Police attempted to reassure the public, saying that there is no threat to the community. They're being tight-lipped about any more details involving this case for the time being. And, uh, oh boy, oh boy, here we have... Transgender woman loses bid to sue X for throwing out her surgically removed testicles. Alright, uh, so this one's just... weird. I mean, it's perfectly fitting for a compilation like this, but beyond that, I, I, I really don't have any words. This story started out when two people, Brianna Kingsley, 40, and William Wojciechowski, 37, met on a Facebook community in April of 2020. They quickly fell for each other as, by fall of 2021, Brianna was moving in with William to live in the house that he had bought. It seems that Brianna had a bit of surgery, getting those good old balls chopped off and thrown into a jar. Going by Rhino Witch Sanctuary on TikTok, Brianna uploaded a video, titled The Unboxing of D's Nuts, of the nards in a jar, kept in the family fridge for the time being. Sitting on a fancy chair, Brianna held up the bottle of jewels for the camera, pondering the orbs, delighting in a significantly reduced chance of testicular cancer for all to see. Brianna said, 
I deal with trauma with comedy. Shakespeare did it. However, unfortunately, the couple broke up in December of 2022, unable to stand each other any longer after living together for one year. Brianna, having moved out, realized that she forgot her container of peanuts back at William's house. She had already gotten the rest of her belongings, so when she went back to the home again, William denied her entry and told her to go away and stop harassing him. He said that all of her belongings were gone, so he had no more reason to interact with her. So Brianna decided to sue. Granted, gotta go get gonads, guys. The claim said, for real, William retains possession of my surgically extracted testicles preserved in a mason jar kept in the fridge next to the eggs. It demanded both the return of the balls and $6,500 in damages. So William decided to countersue for being humiliated by the case. The judge tossed out both Brianna's case and rejected William's as well. He called the whole thing a wash and said that his decision can't be appealed. Part of his reasoning was that he had no idea how to even go about calculating damages in a case like this, saying, I can put a dollar amount on, say, if you were missing work at $16 an hour, but as to testicles, I can't really put a number on it. In January, Brianna was arrested, fined $100, and put into jail for three days for violating a personal protection order William had filed. After, a sheriff's deputy accompanied her to William's house. This time as well, she neglected to snag the boys. The judge noted that Brianna kept neglecting to take them, so this was on her, saying, We allow a one-time visit with a sheriff's officer in situations like that for people to go back and get their belongings. Ms. Kingsley failed to retrieve the testicles from the refrigerator at that time. If they were so important to her, she had the opportunity to grab them, and she didn't. To everyone's shock, William told the judge that he had already thrown the nuts in the trash, saying, They were rotting in my fridge. It was disgusting. I've got food in there I wanted to eat. She didn't keep them in a biohazard container like she was supposed to. It seems that the removal of the balls had costed $20,000, but it was paid for by the state due to Brianna being disabled. So the whole removal was basically free in the first place. The judge finished by saying, the state paid for that, you didn't. You're not going to be unjustly enriched. And check this one out. Thieves somehow steal 200-foot WJLX radio tower. So out in Jasper, Alabama, we have a heist of pretty epic proportions that honestly seems impossible, but yeah, here we are. Out of nowhere, the WJLX radio station in Walker County had their 200-foot-tall AM radio tower completely stolen, and nobody knows who did it or how they even managed to do it. The radio station's signal has been pretty negatively impacted by the theft. The general manager of the station, Brett Elmore, feels hopeful that somebody will come forward with information as to who stole their tower. After all, this is a theft of such incredible proportions that it would be hard to keep anyone from talking about it. Regardless, he's left pretty flabbergasted by the entire thing. I've tried all weekend to, to figure it out, and I just can't. I've, I've been in the radio business around it all my life, and, and then been in it for 26 years professionally, and I can say I've never heard of anything like this, and this one, I've seen it all now. He said that he first learned about the theft when he sent a cleaning crew out to the base of the tower to get rid of some brush. This was when they realized that not only was the brush cleared out, but so was the entire tower itself. It was just gone. 
When he arrived, he called me on Friday and said, uh, the, the tower's gone. And, I, and I, so I said, what do you mean the tower's gone? You know, and uh, are, you, are you sure you're at the right place, you know? And he said, no. He said, the tower's gone. There's wires everywhere and it's gone. Now the station is working with the FCC to get some temporary permissions to keep the station going while they rebuild on the AM radio side of things. They don't really have an estimate as to how long that might take, though. They said, This really hurts a small operation like this, but like I said, I believe we will find out who did this. It is a federal crime and it absolutely will not be worth it to them. It seems the Jasper police are still on the lookout for who might have stolen the tower. The general manager, after doing some calculations, has found that they were robbed of about $200,000 worth of equipment. If you happen to know anything about this case, it's recommended that you call either Crime Stoppers or the Jasper Police directly and give them a tip. This one's, uh, sex noises from San Diego massage parlor interrupt church services lead to prostitution bust. Oddly enough, this isn't the first time I've talked about some raunchy naughtiness making things a little awkward for churchgoers and causing them to stop their services. It's been a while, so let's get into another one. There's a quote day spa out in San Diego called the Ocean Sea Massage Parlor that's been bothering local residents for quite some time now. Not only have the patrons of the spa been getting some happy endings, but they've been very, very vocal about their excitement in doing so. People were getting a little tired of hearing their happy times. Things had gotten so raunchy that they didn't even limit their activities to the inside of the spa. They began to take their clients out to their cars and, in turn, to the bone zone as well. Things were especially awkward for a local church youth group who would hold services and Bible study in the same complex next door. After hearing people getting it on and screaming throughout so many meetings, they eventually decided to end their lease and just move somewhere else. All sorts of businesses and residents made so many complaints to the police about the noise that they couldn't ignore it any longer. First, the police sent some undercover cops out to the location in order to see what was really going on. They were offered sexual services immediately upon asking. They also found well over 1,300 ads online advertising those services at that spa right there in the open. After an investigation, four people were arrested for prostitution and the city began to try and shut the business down. The city attorney is also giving them about $100,000 in fines and civil penalties to reimburse the city for the legal costs. She said in a press release, The owners of Ocean Spa have been masquerading as a legitimate business for far too long. Ocean Spa is a sex shop, not a massage parlor, and it has no place in our community or anywhere else. We look forward to holding those perpetrators accountable and to restoring peace in this complex. Local California business owners have said that recent laws put into place to cut down on prostitution on the streets have done nothing but force them into situations like this and make things even more awkward. One local business owner said, It's always been pretty common with massage parlors to offer more than massages. But with the new law, the whole industry is emboldened because they know nothing will happen. The prostitution has steadily increased. As it turns out, some of the girls at this massage parlor would actually sleep in the rooms after hours, seemingly living there. Although it isn't known for sure yet, some wonder if the establishment might have been participating in human trafficking. With a very busy border crossing in San Diego, the trafficking problem coming in from Mexico is only growing worse and incidents like this are happening more and more.
And now, Afghan migrant masturbating on train tracks halts rail traffic across Kessel region. As if we didn't have enough Ranji stories this time, well, here comes another one. On January 16th, out in the German city of Kessel, it appears that a migrant from Afghanistan had gone out in the middle of the train tracks to conduct a little self-maintenance. The man, who lives in Nyast, laid down on the middle of the tracks and started stroking the pickle. The conductor of a train had to pull the brakes and slow the train to a grinding halt to avoid turning him into hamburger meat all over the tracks. He managed to completely shut down the entire Kessel rail system. He was swiftly arrested and hopefully cleaned up. Despite the massive upset to infrastructure, information about the case was withheld and wasn't published until a week later on the 22nd. A police spokesman said, Because of him, the driver of a Regio tram in the direction of Kessel had to break quickly in the area of Kessel Junkfinkofen train stop. Some witnesses had recorded the 30-year-old man goinking it on the tracks, which they later leaked online. Luckily, nobody was injured during the whole incident. The man has been charged with interfering with train traffic. And, wife tries to kill husband over postcard from woman he dated 60 years ago. And you should see this coming by now, a Florida case. Florida woman, this time. Uh, here we go. A very elderly woman, 71-year-old Bertha Yalter, was apparently quite angry with her husband when he received a postcard from his ex-girlfriend, a woman he hadn't dated in 60 years. At their condo in the Eastern Shores area of North Miami Beach, she flew into a complete rage. She both bit and beat her husband, tried to smother him with a pillow, and for some reason urinated all over him. Police came out to the scene, only to see a victim that they described as extremely fragile with serious bruises and open lacerations on both of his arms and stomach area, as well as open bite marks that were bleeding. It seems that police were able to find cell phone video of the assault, which is now being used as evidence against Bertha. She's now facing charges of attempted murder, aggravated battery on a person 65 and older, and tampering with a victim. She's being held without bond. Now, the detectives are asking anyone with more information to please come forward and contact the authorities. Once again, this has been your host, Kyle. Thank you very much for listening to today's podcast episode. Feel free to look through my huge library of other stories if you found this one interesting, and be sure to be there for the next stories that come out each and every week. Have a good night.